In 1 Samuel 23, we find David doing Saul's job. He rescues Kayla from the Philistines, but the men of Kayla, in their treachery, turn him over to Saul. David receives encouragement from his friend Jonathan. They renew their covenant. And though Saul is hunting David, God in his providence distracts him and saves David and his men. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by his spirit, profitable for us. 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Kela, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Kela. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah, how much more than if we come to Kela against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kela, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Kela and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Kela, and it came to pass when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David to Kela, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Kela, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in, by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Kela to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord, God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Kela to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kela deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then said David, Will the men of Kela deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about six hundred, arose and departed out of Kela, and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Kela, and he forbear to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, 
And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the wood, in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Go, I pray you, prepare yet, and know and see his place where his haunt is, and who hath seen him there. For it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. See therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself, and come ye again to me with a certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went to seek him. And they told David, wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land." Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they call that place Selah, Hama Haklokoth. And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engidai. Thus far the reading of God's inerrant, inspired, and infallible word, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Quite a chapter, quite a story. Verses 1 through 6, we have David's rescue of Calah from the hands of the Philistines. You will notice if you have a copy of your map, Calah is next to the red arrow. He has been chased by Saul to this place, seeking refuge there. And now the men of Calah are under attack. David goes to rescue them. They told David in verse 1, nobody that we know of is identified by name here. Someone came or some group of people came and said that the Philistines would fight or were fighting against Cala. Cala was a fortified city with gates and bars as we saw in verse seven. It had dependent villages. We've seen in Joshua chapter 15, verse 44, it was a city of Judah. God directed David to be there. They rob, he was told, the threshing floors. Now, if you think about in the ancient cities, they would have no place to grow grain, so they would have dependent villages called suburbs. Urb is a city, sub means beneath. Cities were built on hills, suburbs were, were, be, were beneath them, and there they would grow their grains. But on the outside of the cities, they would have what were known as threshing floors. That's where they would take the grain, shooting up like grass or hay or wheat, 
And then they would take the berries off of that and they would thresh it so that they could keep the precious grain and use it for their bread. But these storehouses were on the outside of the cities often. So when they robbed the threshing floors, what that means is all the work that went into growing that food to sustain the life of the inhabitants of Cala, all that work was about to go down the drain and what follows next? Starvation, disease, and death. So this is very serious. This is taking the lifeline away from Cala. So David, after hearing this, does what we ought to do in troublous times. He calls on the name of God. He inquires of the Lord. Remember, he had two means of access. He had Abiathar the priest with the ephod, and he had Gad the seer, both of which he could ask on God's behalf that they speak the word of God to him. He inquires of the Lord. Now notice, David is of a much different spirit than his men, is he not? David's men, verse 3, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. The fact that we're in Judah and not in the holds as God told us to do makes us afraid. We're afraid of our circumstances. We don't, in other words, trust in God. Does David trust in God? He does. He has changed his ways. He's begun to trust God more and more, even with dangers and difficulties. Fear drives out faith. If we fear man, if we fear creatures, we cannot fear God. If we fear God, we need not fear any creature. Stonewall Jackson said, fear God, and you need fear no man. But the opposite is also true. Fear man, and you will not fear God. These men did not fear God. So David, in order to encourage them to believe, inquires yet again. Arthur Pink comments on this second inquiry. Let us learn from this incident that the most effectual way of answering the unbelieving objections of faint-hearted followers and of securing their cooperation is referred them unto the promises and precepts of God and set before them an example of complete dependency upon him. That's what David does. Let us remember the promise of God. Let us hear again the word from God. Let us pray and show these men how to trust in God. That's what David does. God grants a slaughter of the Philistines in verse 5. Abiathar the priest follows David to Cala in verse 6. Then in verses 7 through 13, David is delivered by God's providence from the treachery of the men of Cala. Now, children, treachery is where you trust in someone that they will look after you and do good to you. But what they do at the end of the story is what we call stab you in the back. You rely upon them to help you in some way. And while you're turned away in trust to them, what do they do? They stab you in the back, not to your face, not in your heart. They don't come to you and say, I will oppose you and will destroy you. No, they wait till you're turned around and you're trusting in them. And then they come for you. This is, per, this is precisely a description of the men of Cala, treacherous. It was told Saul that David was come to Cala, no longer in the holds and forest of Hareth, 
He's now out in the open doing Saul's business. Remember the king, what was he supposed to do? Fight our battles for us. Defend us from our adversaries. Is Saul doing his job? No. Who's doing Saul's job? David, whom he accuses of being treacherous. Now notice Saul's response to hearing about David in verse 7. He said, God hath delivered him into mine hand. Now Saul is a fool and a hypocrite. He thinks that God in his providence sits upon his throne to do what? Accomplish my wicked and murderous purposes. That's what Saul thinks. God has given me the victory. He approves of my plan to chase down David. Now, are we to live by the course of divine providence? No, we are to live by the laws of Almighty God. Saul could say, God delivered him into my hand, but was it God's commandment that he slay this innocent man? God prohibited him from slaying the innocent and the righteous as a magistrate, let alone just as a human being. Thou shalt not kill. You must not take life unless you have cause to do so. Was there cause to do so? No. So to put it in God's hands and say, he delivered me so that I could sin is most wicked and heinous. Matthew Henry comments, we must not think that one smiling providence either justifies an unrighteous cause or secures its success. Now, Saul didn't even have the success he thought he would, did he? Did God deliver David into his hand? No, he didn't. But he's a fool. He's a hypocrite. He wants God to approve of his lawless ways. Now here, Saul gives his reasons why he thinks God delivered him into his hand. For he is shut in. By entering into a town that hath gates and bars, how is he going to get out? Saul minds earthly things. Gates, bars, city. I've got the victory. Does he consider the providence of Almighty God? That God might thwart all the means that they put forth to hold David in? All the treachery might be discovered? Did he ever think about that? No. So he calls, Saul does, all the people together to war. He has abused the God of Israel, saying that God approves of his sin. Now he abuses the Israel of God. Listen, all you troops... Gather up to me. What are we going to do? What's the cause for which we're going to go to war? Well, I have this innocent uh, general in my army who's done nothing but good to me, and I want to kill him, and I want to destroy a whole city in Judah so that I can kill him. Is that a just war? Is that a lawful reason to go and kill, destroy, burn a city, breach the walls? Is that a reason to fight? Oh, support our troops, they say. Why? Why should I support our troops? Do they fight God's battles? Do they fight lawful and just war? If they do not, I do not support them and nor should you. If the cause is unjust, all acts of violence are acts of wickedness and sin. If a war is just, all the acts of violence are lawful. Is this a just war? No. 
David knew that Saul secretly practiced what? Just war? A lawful defense? No. Mischief, the Bible tells us. Evil, wickedness, lawlessness. That's what mischief means. Wicked deeds were practiced by Saul secretly. So David again inquires of the Lord. This time we see explicitly it's through Abiathar the priest. He asks him to bring hither the ephod. In times of distress, what does David do now? Does he resort to his own wisdom? Does he put spittle upon his beard and scrabble upon the door? No, he calls upon God. He trusts in the Lord. He asks God to open a door for him and to show him the way he ought to go. O Lord, God of Israel, thy servant, that is me, David, God, you are eternal. That's what it means for him to be Lord. You are not a mere man as I am. I am your servant. You are my master and king. You are my lawgiver. You are my judge. Thy servant hath heard that Saul seeketh to come to Caleb and to destroy the city for my sake. This is a lunatic destruction. Is this report confirmed by you because everybody says it's true? Is it actually true? That's what he wants to know. David beseeches God in verse 11 to tell him if Saul will come and if the men will betray him. Now God, in the first response, only tells him that Saul will come. He doesn't tell him whether the men of Calah will betray him. He does not reveal that to him just yet. God would have his servants more earnest in our prayers sometimes. He will leave the answers off the table. We do not know exactly what is to happen, and so we must ask again, as David does. Will the men of Calah deliver me, he asks, and my men into the hand of Saul? He perseveres in prayer. No answer to this request in the first time he inquired, and so he prays without ceasing. He does not lose heart. Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Why? That it will be open to you, that you will have the thing that you request. Saul hears then that David escaped from Caleb, so he does not go forth. God did not deliver David into his hand, as Saul said. Jonathan then comes to encourage David in God. Verses 14 and 15, David and his men take refuge in the wilderness of Ziph. You will see this on your map. If we were here at Kela, he comes down into this area, the wilderness of Ziph. And later we'll see him go to Engidi. But here, Ziph is the city here. Wilderness of Ziph is here. Perhaps five to ten miles distance. Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, verse 16 tells us, and went to David into the woods. Now think about this for a second. Can Saul find David? No. Can Jonathan find David? Yes, quite easily, isn't it? God, in his providence, opens the doors for Jonathan, closes them on Saul, and David himself, of course, would allow Jonathan to find him. Wicked men often seek for things that they cannot have, whereas the godly have easy access to them, namely to God and his Messiah, his anointed, his Christ. Notice what Jonathan did. He strengthened his hand in God. 
How exactly did Jonathan do this? How do we strengthen a believer in their hand in God? You know, we can weaken men in God. We can weaken our friends in God by dissuading them from believing in what God promises, by discouraging them from obeying what he commands, by encouraging or enticing them to do those things that God forbids. That's how you weaken a believer's hand in God. How do you strengthen someone's hand in God? Well, here's the word that God spoke to you. This is the promise of God, David. You shall be king. My father knows it. That's what he says. That strengthens David in God because it reminds him of the promises of God. This is true friendship, by the way. A true friend encourages you in your faith, teaches you to rely upon God's promises, encourages you to obey his commandments, and to refrain from doing those things that God condemns, teaches you to tremble when God threatens. They encourage your faith. They encourage you in God. What sort of impact do we have on our friends? Do we weaken their resolve as David's men did? Remember when David inquired, we fear we're here in Judah. We're not going to escape. We're going to go into a walled city. That doesn't make any sense. Does that strengthen the hand in God? It doesn't, does it? It weakens David's resolve, but he is undeterred and he goes forth conquering and to conquer. But what sort of impact do we have upon our friends? Do we weaken their resolve to believe in his promises, to know that God works all things together for their good, to them that love him and are called according to his purpose? Do we encourage one another with those words and those thoughts? Do we show them an example of godliness and trusting him in suffering? Or do we moan and groan and complain when bad things happen to us that discourages others from believing in God's promises? Do we entice them to sin? Or do we come alongside and say, brother or sister, this is not good what you're doing. This is not commanded by God. He forbids this. We should not go in this direction. Let us be friends as Jonathan was. Though not a perfect friend, Jonathan was a godly and sincere friend. Jonathan said unto David, verse 17, here's part of how he strengthens his hand in God, fear not. Do you know why he tells him this? Because if you're afraid, David, you will not believe the promise. You won't trust in God. Fear not, he says, which literally means stop being afraid. I know you're afraid, David. Stop it. That's what he's saying. Don't do it any longer. It assumes the action is happening. The hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. Now, how, pray tell, does Jonathan know this? How does he know that Saul will not find him? Well, what did the prophet say to David? What did Samuel say? What was the word of God to him? That he would be king. That God had rejected Saul. He had chosen David. He had anointed him with oil through the prophet Samuel. He shall be king. Therefore, what? You're invincible. God has a purpose for you. Until that purpose is fulfilled, you cannot be conquered. Did you know this is true of all Christians? Through Jesus Christ, 
we are told we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Well, what are our adversaries? Do you remember this from Romans 8, the schedule of adversaries? Famine, nakedness, persecution, sword, peril, all these things. What do they do for us? Bad, evil? Do they shut us out from the kingdom of God? Do they show us that God hates us? No. In these things, Paul said, we are more than conquerors. God has made us invincible until he's done with us. Then what? Then he takes us to be with him. Do you see we are, why we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? Fear not. Stop being afraid, David. Saul, my father, shall not find thee out. Saul cannot overcome divine prophecy and promise. I note then this doctrine that a faith in divine providence makes us aware that we are invincible until God's purpose is done not one hair of our head can fall to the ground without our Father's will, Jesus said. This is why anxiety is a wicked sin. To be anxious, to be troubled inside means I don't trust God with my circumstances. I don't trust you, God. You can't take care of this. You're not big enough, wise enough. You don't care enough about me. I have to look out for me now. No, you don't. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love God? Then he says, I will work all things together for good. Note the contrast between Joseph and his brethren. Joseph's brethren want to do everything they can to overcome the prophecies that Joseph gave. So they plan to kill him. Then they plan to sell him. Then he becomes a slave. Then he saves their necks and delivers them and becomes next in line to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And at the end, what do they say? Oh, before dad died, he said you were supposed to forgive us for all the evil that we had done to you. And what does Joseph say? Well, you meant it to evil. You meant evil and harm to me, but God meant it for good. Then what did he do? He spoke kindly to them. He nourished them. He took care of them and their kids. Why? Did he need to be bitter? Did he need to be angry? Did he need to fuss at God or his brethren and say, look, you guys did a lot of wicked things to me. First you tried to kill me, then you lied to dad, then you sold me as a slave. Are those things good? No, they're all bad, all wicked, all sinful, all displeasing to God, but God meant for good what they meant for evil. Fear not, Jonathan says, he strengthens his hands in God. Saul cannot overcome you. He cannot overcome Almighty God. Let us trust in God. Let us not seek to maneuver or force our wills on divine providence, but rather realize we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let us do our duty. Fear not. Trust and hope in God's word to us. Jonathan goes on in verse 17. Thou shalt be king over Israel. Fact. Promised by God. Saul, as later Julian the apostate emperor of Rome would do, he sought to fight against the Galilean in heaven, but he could not overcome him. He could not win. Jonathan unfortunately speaks fiction, and I shall be next unto thee. 
Had God promised this to Jonathan or to David? There is no promise. This is him, well-intended, good friend, but not a perfect friend, and none of us are. There's no promise that he would be next to David in the kingdom. No warrant to express this pious fiction. Divine fact, David will be king. Pious fiction, I shall be next unto thee. Matthew Henry comments, Jonathan said what he wished, not what he had grounds to expect. Andrew Willett says, Here we see that the children of God are sometimes deceived in temporal things, whereof they have no certain promise and assurance. Is this not the case with us? We can often be deceived in temporal things. We think we've got grounds to hope or to believe that something will be a certain way. Has God told us that it will be so? Where do we find out what God's will is for our lives? Right here. Here are his promises. Here are his precepts. If we make up other things and say, God told me da, 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 what have we done? Pious fiction. You might wish it to be that case. You might wish it to go that way. Has God promised that it will be so? No. So we must put our faith in the words of God, not in our good intentions that things will turn out the way that we would like them to be, as unfortunately Jonathan did. They make then a covenant or they renew their covenant before the Lord. David abode in the wood. Jonathan went to his house. Again, perhaps we could find fault with Jonathan here. In some sense, you could ask, well, why didn't you stay with David, Jonathan? Weren't you loyal to him, to his cause? On the other side, we could say he did not want to foment a civil war and rebellion against Saul, his father. So there are different sides of Jonathan's considerations. Verses 19 through 29, the Ziphites inform Saul against David. Remember the wilderness of Ziph, they're on your maps. Just right in the midst of that is the city Ziph. There are two Ziphs or cities named Ziph in Judah, one in the furthest coast toward Edom, as we read in Joshua 15, verses 21 and 24. One is in the mountains toward Hebron, or the wilderness of Maon, as we see here in verse 24 of this chapter, also in Joshua 15, 55. The Ziphites come to Saul. You'll notice they travel all the way up to Gibeah. Look here. Here's Ziph. That's where they're at. Ziph, they go all the way up, about 20 miles up to Saul, so that they can do what? Snitch. We're going to snitch. We're going to tell on David. Doth not David hide himself in the strongholds of the wood? These are slanderers, flatterers, and psychophants, as we saw concerning David, or excuse me, Doeg last week, Doeg the Edomite. Psalm 54, in fact, includes this instance as the occasion for Psalm 54, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? And as we see in Psalm 54, the troubles brought upon him, the slander of the Ziphites, their psychophantic behavior, what does it do to David? It drives him to trust in God. It drives him to worship the Lord as Psalm 54 details. Now notice verse 21. How does Saul respond to this treachery, this 
psychophantic behavior, this slander, this murderous way. Blessed be ye of the Lord. Ouch. Does God bless the covetous? Does he bless the murderers? Does God bless the wicked? No, he doesn't, actually. If you call on God to bless someone for their sin, what are you doing? You're saying, God, I want you to approve of the wickedness of this person. When we say, God bless America, is America a godly nation? Do we fear the Lord? Do we worship him? Or do we murder innocent children in the womb and promote all manner of idolatry? And will God bless such a nation? Blessed be ye of the Lord. This is part of that black chain of reprobation. There's a golden chain of election and salvation. There is a black chain of reprobation. Such a pitch of hypocrisy that you will bless those that God curses. That's what he's doing. Blessed be ye of the Lord. Matthew Henry comments, So near is God to his mouth, though far from his heart. Let us beware of our good intentions contrary to God's law. Where will those good intentions lead us? Down into destruction. Ye have compassion on me. Poor little old me chasing this guy around who's totally innocent so I can murder him. Oh, poor me, I'm a victim. Look at all the wrong that David has done to me. This is Saul's attitude. You've had compassion on me. Poor me. Nobody else feels sorry for me. I will search for him, Saul says, throughout all the thousands of Judah. And so he does, verses 24 through 26. Saul and his army continue to hunt for David until finally what? David and his 600 men are circled about by Saul and his thousands. What can they do? Can they get out? Yes, they can. There's a messenger that comes to Saul. Providence makes a way of escape. Remember, God makes his people invincible. Until his purpose for us has been completed, God makes a way of escape. And then God sweetly brings us to himself when his purpose is done. What better deal than that? Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Matthew Henry again. When the Philistines invaded the land, they were far from intending any kindness to David by it. Do you think the Philistines are sitting around, hey, how can we help David? You know what we should do? Let's go invade the land so Saul has to leave him alone. Did they intend that? No. What did they intend? Pillage, rape, steal, get some slaves. Let's go do it. That's what the Philistines intend. What does God intend? I'm saving David. I'm delivering him from the wickedness of Saul. The wisdom of God is never at a loss for ways and means to preserve his people. So they memorialize this place. They call it Selah, that is a rock. In verse 28, Hama Klekoth, or divisions, escapes. This is the rock of divisions, where the two camps are divided, 
where Saul is divided from his purpose and where David makes his escape in God's providence. David then goes up from thence and dwells in the strongholds of Engidai, pursuing lawful means for his own defense and to escape the tyranny of his king. And thus far the exposition of the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23.